I, I know you guys love it when I'm like super interactive and I, I go down the aisle and I talk to you, but I can't do that because of these speakers. So if you see me doing that, just go, pull me back, okay? Because I feel the distance and I just want to come at you. But anyway, we'll, we'll stay behind these speakers because of the feedback. Um, today is an uh, opportunity for us again to, to be the church. It's not necessarily about where we meet. It's about the fact that we're all unified by this one spirit. The spirit of unification, the spirit of peace, it's the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ that unifies us all. And so um, we have a lot to cover uh, this morning. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of race through all these uh, points. I'm so happy that you took your notes here to take notes because, man, there's so many notes. It's awesome. Um, but as those who are in Christ, all of us here, we have a problem. We have a problem, but um, we have lots of problems, but this one particular problem is a big one. And the way we answer the question or we approach this problem, uh, it either solves it or it exacerbates the problem, makes it worse. And Christians for years have fallen short even to this day on how they approach this question how they solve this problem. Matter of fact, whole denominations, right? Parachurch ministries, biblical counseling ministries, Christian ministries have addressed this problem incorrectly for years, even to this day. Matter of fact, even parachurch ministries have been created to address this problem, but they really haven't found the solution. Um, Sometimes they, they, they come up with a correct response to the solution, to the problem. But if it's not the correct response, then it's still a problem, right? It's like skydiving. It's like if you go skydiving and someone leads you to the door to jump out and they're like, we have a problem. We don't have a parachute, but we, that's a problem, but we have a solution. Uh, we have a, a king size bed sheet. So we want you to hold on to four corners of this bed sheet and then jump out of the plane. It's a response to the problem, but it's still a problem. And so for, therefore, Christians have experienced for centuries, even to this day, this, um, a, a diluted freedom because the way they approach this problem has been incorrect. Matter of fact, you answer the question to this problem every day. You actually answer it personally and relationally every day, whether you realize it or not. The question is, if I have been made righteous, why do I still struggle with sin? If I am made righteous, why do I still struggle with sin? If I've been made righteous, why do I still hurt people? If I've been made righteous, why do I still disappoint people? If I've been made righteous, why do I still hurt myself? If I've been made righteous, uh, why am I still tempted and look at pornography even though I'm a married man? If I've been made righteous, why am I still after the attention, the approval of other men even though I'm a married woman? If I'm still righteous, why am I jealous of other people to the extent that I verbally attack them behind their backs? 
Why, if I've been made righteous, why do I put ketchup in craft dinner? It's sin. You, you didn't know that? The Bible says whether you eat or drink, you have to do it unto the glory of God, and, and that doesn't glorify God, so don't do it. Okay? I'm absolutely joking. Jesus just loves me more than you. That's what the problem is. Okay? Just don't do it. How you answer this problem, if I've been made righteous, why do I struggle with sin? How you answer this problem will determine the degree of freedom that you will experience in the Christian life. Again, if this question is not answered correctly, if an answer is given but it's not the correct answer, you will have a diluted experience of freedom for your whole Christian life. And that is not what God designed you for. You've been made righteous so that you can experience the fullness of freedom that Scripture promised you, that was purchased for you with the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was for freedom that you were set free. I came to faith in um, 1999 at a youth retreat. I was 16 years old. And, um, and immediately after I had an extreme experience with the presence of God, I, I changed my life. I vowed to change my life. I, I decided I'm going to do everything I can to behave in a way that God would appreciate. So I actually got rid of a whole bunch of secular CDs that I had. I remember going to my high school. I went into my... Uh, I brought home, I brought, sorry, to my school and into my locker all of these CDs that were like secular CDs, and I started giving them away to people. I was so Christian, I gave them away. I didn't sell them, right? Um, anyone remember Boys to Men? You know, you know the Boys, anyone Boys to Men? Okay, you know the Boys to Men album that's got, <laughs> that's got like the, the uh, Roman numeral two on it? Yeah, okay, okay, good. Thanks, Greg. I gave that away. Mariah Carey, Destiny's Child, Black Street. I tried to give away Matchbox 20, but no one would take it. <laughs> Confession time, I listened to Matchbox 20, <laughs> okay? Um, and, and I did everything in my ability to associate the love of God that I received with a performance, with a reaction. And so what happened was I was experiencing this love of God, but what was driving the reaction, the performance, was that I had this other voice in my head. I had this voice of affirmation, like the Spirit says, that I am an adopted son of God. Romans talks about that, how, you're, how the Spirit of God confirms our spirit that we're adopted. I would hear the voice of God in this one ear, but in the other ear, I'd have this opposing force saying that you are not an adopted child of God. Look at your performance. Look at what you do. Look what you don't do right. To the same degree that I felt loved and accepted by God, I had another degree like the volume of both voices were both turned up to 100, competing with each other. And it was happened over and over again in multiple situations. Let me tell you, I struggled with this right into ministry as a youth pastor. How do I perform in a way that God finds appealing, and God says this is acceptable, and still at the same time I had this other voice saying, you're not measuring up. And so this com competition over and over again was driving me insane. Even to an understanding of the new covenant, I'm trying to think correctly. I'm trying to believe right, as they say. I'm trying to believe that I'm righteous. But again, there's that voice. No, you're not measuring up. You're not doing enough. 
So even up until recently, when I say recently, I mean like even a few months ago. So on this journey to figure out what's going on, what's the noise in my head, where is it coming from? <sighs> to answer this question still, if I am made righteous, why do I still struggle with sin? Well, the struggle comes in three different forms. We all know this, right? The unholy trinity. We have the brokenness of this world that surrounds us, that we live in. We're in the world, but we're not of it. But if you turn on the news, you can see the brokenness of society. You see what's wrong with society. You see what's wrong in even your own bodies. You even have cells and organs that will attack themselves to the point that someone would die. And we're also aware of another part of this trinity, right? The Bible's not silent about this. It's not silent about Satan and his fallen angels. He himself is a fallen angel. He's a created being. He has nothing on God. And he's nowhere close to being able to compete with him. So he attacks God's children because he can't get at God. So we have that opposition. But then that opposition also wants to take ownership of this other thing that's going on in your own body. And it's this thing called the flesh. Now, we talk about the flesh here and there. Um, and I've always had understandings or whispers of what the flesh was, what was indwelling sin, and always wrestled with what did it actually mean. But over a period of time, I've been able to kind of boil it down into a catalog of ideas. And I want to just express those this morning because I really believe that if I am made righteous and I struggle with sin, then there's something else going on. And we know that what the flesh is, is that it is sin. It is an entity. It is something that has its own desires that lives in you, but it's not of you. I'll say that again. It's something that lives in you, but it's not of you. You are in the world, but are you of the world? No. So there's something that lives in you, but it's not of you. Um, you know, for years, I, as a, you know, I was discipled uh, by many great pastors and, and have been involved in a lot of great churches. But one thing that no one explained to me about indwelling sin, the flesh, this is the one thing they never really expressed it to me. No one told me that I was not the one to fight it. I wasn't the one to go head-to-head -head against indwelling sin in my body. Is that new information to you? Hopefully today, what's going to happen is we're going to talk about the flesh and to the point that we don't become afraid of the flesh, right? We don't become afraid of indwelling sin. We don't want fleshophobia, right? Because, because we can get that because we don't understand what it is. And that was my journey. For years, I just didn't understand how this thing was at work in my life and what it was doing and, and all those different things. And so I became afraid of the subject matter, so I would hide from it. As a pastor, I wouldn't teach about it because I didn't understand it. As a believer, I would ignore it and just consider it was something to be part of my body when I was reading scripture. But this thing, the flesh, is part of the struggle as to why we sin and for us to ignore it then we were going to ignore an opportunity to experience freedom. So today I don't want us to be fleshophobes. I want us to be flesh aware. That's so clever. Come on, guys. Come on. Flesh aware. 
Okay, we want to be flesh aware. I don't want us to be so flesh conscious that we can't breathe, but, but I want us to be awakened to freedom and freedom personally and relationally. So uh, let me pray before I jump in. Uh, and, so, and so for me, uh, Jesus, I, I know, like, I, I experience a lot of confusion on this subject. And so the last thing I want to do is to make the subject more confusing. So I'm asking you to help me. No, beyond that, I'm asking you to teach through me and reveal truth and help us to celebrate, actually celebrate freedom through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about this thing. I've got lots of points, um, but you guys are, are great at following along. Uh, so what is the flesh? We're going to take a look at that. What is it? Where did it come from? So we'll start at the very beginning, okay? It's a very good place to start. <laughs> Sound of music? Okay, anyway. Love it. Adam was designed to be dependent on the source of life. What is the source of life? Correct answer? God. God is the source of life. Adam was dust without God's spirit. Therefore, spirit breathed into Adam. God's spirit breathed into Adam was Adam's true essence of existence. Humanity's true essence of existence was complete dependence on God as a source of life. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says that God's breath of life made him made Adam into a living being. But living being can also be translated as the word soul. So your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will, your decision-making ability, okay? So that's what happened when the spirit was breathed in. So the first thing that needed to happen, and the most important part, the essence of Adam's existence, the essence of our existence, is God's breath, it's spirit. He is a source of life. Now when Adam took the fruit from his wife and sinned, Adam's spirit became independent of God and sin knew Adam intimately. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, this is Satan talking, this is Satan deceiving Eve. This is what he says. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, being the apple, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the most important part of this is the word knowing. Now, I want everyone to repeat after me. This is a cool Hebrew word. Okay, I want you to say yada. Yada. Okay. Yada means to know. Okay. And it's also used in scripture, especially in Genesis, when you hear verses like Adam knew Eve and an Eve begot Seth. Right? So it's very intimate knowing. It's like a bot fly that gets under your skin and starts laying eggs. No, I wanted, you, I wanted it to be disgusting. No, it, it, I, I, that's exactly what I wanted. That's the reaction I wanted. It's so intimate. Under your skin, something just repulsive, something that God wants nothing to do with. Under your skin, in your body. So, because of sin, because of this disconnection now, that now that Adam is independent of the source of life, he 
the flesh or indwelling sin or sin in his body is now trying to reconnect Adam. Or matter of fact, this is the better way to say it. The flesh wants to take advantage of the desire to be reconnected to life. It wants to take advantage of it to the purpose of bringing death to you. It wants to take that desire that you have and twist it to ruin you. And why is this? Because the disconnection, because mankind was not made to run independent of its source of life. We were made to be, in, we were made to be totally dependent on God. And the flesh is only capable of bringing death. It's never, ever. Indwelling sin is not able to bring you life. Now, Adam's quality of life before his independence was 100%. He was the wealthiest person who ever lived. Do you disagree with me? Adam was extremely wealthy. He had everything. Everything. And the man was naked. And it was warm. And there was no snow. You tell me there was snow in there. There was no snow. The man had everything. He had the source of life. He had love, security, worth, care, belonging. He would walk with God in the cool of the day, completely accepted. But now he's totally independent of that. And Adam's independent spirit has no way of securing those six things that I just mentioned. But the flesh wants to try and wants to use his desires to ruin him, his desires to be reconnected to life, to ruin him. Romans chapter 7 verse 5 says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bring fruit for death. Okay? Scripture aligns with that. So since I was in Adam, I was in Adam's genes. I have Adam's genes. Right? I'm descended from Adam. Since I, was, since I was descended from him, I have inherited his bad genes. Really, really bad genes that rip at the seam right here. Like, you know, when they, like, I hate that. That's the worst, right? We never want that to happen. No, really bad genes, okay? And he is completely independent, and I am completely independent from God when I was born. I was still born spiritually. I was born dead on arrival, spiritually. It's a gruesome thought. It's not a pleasant thought, but it's the truth. And so I needed to have a restart to my existence. I needed to have a new life put in because the life or the essence of my existence that I had was spiritually disconnected from God, independent of God. So I needed to have a new start. And I needed to be put into a new Adam. So the new Adam is Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, and so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And it is the greatest miracle that we could have a restart. And it trumps all other miracles. I want us to grasp that for a second. Salvation is the greatest miracle. It trumps all other miracles. Because two things, you can be, spirit, you can be spiritually dead, but physically alive. But we have the best of both worlds. We are physically alive and spiritually alive. Right? Some people would say, well, the greatest miracle is someone could be raised from the dead. You know, someone's laying in, you know, in a wake, you know, and you go up and you pray for them and they come back to life. Well, they're only physically alive if they don't have a spiritual connection with Jesus. If they're not reconnected with the Spirit of God. 
So we have the best of both worlds. It's the greatest miracle that we have been remade with new life. Because the essence of my existence, like I said before, was stillborn. It was dead on arrival. And so I needed a new one. And when Jesus rose from the grave, when he was resurrected, like we're going to celebrate on Easter, when he was resurrected, I was also resurrected. And I was given a new life. It's great. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says this, but he who is joined to the Lord must become I love how it says, must become one spirit with him. If you're joined with the Lord, you have to become one spirit with him. Galatians 2.20 obviously puts it perfectly. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this again is a miracle of life that we experience. You see, my identity now is Jesus. My identity is not my weight. My identity is not my build. My identity is not my skin color. I want you to listen to me. My, ability, my identity is not my skin color. And it's not yours either. Jesus is my life. What I have connected with you, if I, had a, if I have a brother, if I have a brother, my blood brother, biologically born from the same mother, who does not know Jesus and is spiritually dead, I have more connected with Norm than I have with him. Can we grasp that? Jesus is my life. Love that. And I just want to celebrate that. He has become my identity. So let's talk about the conflict then, right? I have a newly made righteous dependent on God's spirit. I have a new spirit. It's joined together with God's spirit. But I still have my old body. If I still have my old body with the bot fly in it, then I still have the flesh alive and well in me because it lives in my body. And the flesh has its own desires. It has its own desires. It has its own way of going about things. And its desire is to take advantage of the desires that I have to be reconnected to God. Only difference now is that I do not need the flesh anymore to find life. I am completely dependent on God as my source of life. The flesh only is a reminder or it's a nudge in the wrong direction of what it felt like to be independent of God. It's a nudge in the, right, in the wrong direction of what it felt like previously to be independent of God. Therefore, this is a very important thing. Therefore, it is natural for me to want to do good. Can everyone say amen? It is natural for me to want to do good. Now, any atheist will tell you the same thing. Of course it's natural to want to do good, right? But here's where the rubber hits the road. Therefore, it is unnatural for me to want to sin. It is unnatural for the spirit, the essence of the existence that I have, to want to sin. It is not natural for me to do that. So I'm not saying that I am sinless, right? Because at times I will go back to what's familiar. I will go back to the sense of what it felt like to be independent of God. I get fooled again. Fool me once, joke's on you, whatever Abraham Bush says. 
<laughs> oh, I can't even remember the saying. Let's leave, let's leave it. Let's leave it. Okay. I, I'm fooled to go back and be independent on the uh, to be independent of God and, and follow the flesh. But that's that's not at all what I want to do. I love how this verse says, um, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom. This is what we're talking about here. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. So I do have the ability, I, do, I can present my members as an instrument of unrighteousness. I can use my will to reflect what the flesh wants to do. I can do that. But I love how Paul says, just don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. This freedom that you've been given, this new calling that you have, now use it to serve one another. But here's the other part about it that's kind of strange that I was really struggling with. We can also do good-looking things according to indwelling sin. Did you know that? You can actually do fairly good things, like, like church culture, right? Yeah, you can do church culture really well. I mean, I actually even got to that point, too, as a teenager, where I was like, yeah, I got rid of Matchbox 20, praise God, threw in the garbage. No one would take it. So I did that, and I, and I, and I bought all Christian CDs. DC Talk, come on, people. Okay, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, okay. So we could, we could do that. Where we, we start adopting. You stop smoking. You stop swearing. You stop watching certain shows. You wear the right t-shirts. And you adopt a culture. And everybody accepts you. So it becomes easy. And you do all these things to fit a certain mold. To the point that, to the point that you don't even need Jesus to look like a Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't even need Jesus to do it. You're just following suit. But here, this is a sobering verse. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says this, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith, especially if he's eating ketchup and craft dinner. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is a big deal. Anything that you do that does not proceed from faith is sin. So that means that the measuring stick has been changed. I can do a bunch of good things, but if it's not about the Spirit of Jesus in me, motivating me, working through me, touching people's lives, then it's still sin. Doesn't that break your brain? It's still sin. This is not me saying it. This is what God says. The measuring stick has been changed. I love how Ross said this once. He said, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave his life to God. Committed his life to God. And what did he do? He killed people. He killed Christians. But he was totally committed to God. If you ask him if he was committed to God, he'd say, yeah. But when Paul, hmm, when God became Paul's life, then Paul saved people. Do you understand the difference? We can certainly put on an act. We can certainly vow all kinds of vows. We can certainly get rid of all of our secular seas or whatever. Right? But there is a higher standard. There's a different measuring stick. There's something that happens when we say, it's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus working through me. There's a new level for us to reach. And I think that's a, 
a beautiful thing that God wants us to experience. There's a, a freedom in that. So what does it mean that I'm a completely holy person who sometimes sin? In other words, um, if I am made righteous, why do I still struggle with sin? Well, primarily for this reason. Because of the flesh, flesh is there, flesh is present in you, and the flesh is not you, and the flesh is not going away, and the flesh is changing, it's taking advantage of your desires for you to find life, to make you go and find it in a wrong way. The flesh has its own agenda and strategy that I remember as being part of my personality at one point, but it's not really me. Uh, I love how one person said this uh, recently. They said that um, the flesh and I broke up. Uh, like, like we're no longer dating or intimately connected to the flesh, even though we might share the same apartment. I'm going to have some fun with this, okay? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh crucified it with his passions and desires. In other words, when you see that phrase used in Scripture, when you see that phrase used in Scripture, what it's saying is that it's saying that its power over you has been taken away. It used to feel like home to you, but it's not home anymore. Right? The flesh is like a bad common-law ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who you shared an apartment, a bed, a car, a fridge, sexual intimacy with, before you broke up with them. Unfortunately, the process of separation is long, right? You still got your lease, you still got to divide up all your goods, right? You got you to section off everything, plus the fact that your ex doesn't want to leave. They want control over everything you share, including your decision-making. And wouldn't that be a, a really tough scenario to be in? Obviously. So you actually sometimes want to appease them to make the living space more comfortable. And you might feel comfortable for a time, but then you end up feeling like crap because you remember how terrible your relationship with them was and how it brought you down and how it made you experience death. You see, in that thinking, that is when I sin. That is when you sin. So I give you some clarity. This is what happens here. So we're, we're stuck in this apartment. We're stuck here for a long time. We're stuck with the flesh until glorification, until this body is gone. That's why we have so much to celebrate. That's why we have so much to celebrate when someone goes to heaven. It's like, man, their battle, their struggle with the flesh is over. They could, ex they could be exactly who God created them to be and enjoy every moment of it. But until then, we still got bot flies. Okay. So, this is why being joined with God's Spirit is so important. God did not set up for us a brand spanking new God-dependent spirit so that we could battle the flesh on our own. He personally employed His Spirit within us to battle the flesh. If you listen to anything right now, uh, today, I want you to listen to this, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Everyone say that you want to do. You want to do. You want to do. In the same way that God employs angels to protect believers from the demonic world, 
This is how intimate our father is. In the same way that he employs angels to protect us from the demonic forces, he employs his own spirit to help us with our struggle with the flesh. How intimate is that? He doesn't stand at a distance. He says, I'm coming right in close. I'm going to help you with this. The spirit is battling the flesh. I love it. So in the same way, God is trying to help and protect the believer from the inside out. I want to give you a, um, a personal uh, story to kind of illustrate this a bit. Uh, I attended Wonderland as part of a youth group. Forgive me if you heard the story from me already, but uh, I attended uh, Wonderland uh, and we went. I'm not actually, I, and I wasn't much of a ride taker. This is my first time going to Wonderland and I was with a group of people, this like really skinny, like thugged out uh, kid with Urkel glasses. And um, I think I had contacts then, I don't know. Anyway, so I was going to take this ride called the Sky Flyer. Anyone remember the Sky Flyer? I think they still have it. And what, what happened was is I got strapped in with three other people to go on this ride. And uh, this, this, uh, this boy, he must have been my age or maybe a little bit younger, came up and started like doing all the fastens, right? Like get in properly. Like you're like you in your diaper, you know? And they strap you in. And, I was, and, and then he left, but then the supervisor, the supervisor came by to check on the work, to see what he did. And he was checking all the fastens, and then he undid all of mine. So out of curiosity, I was like, yo, bro, like, why, why are you undoing my fastens? He's like, well, the attendant who was here before did them all wrong, and you would have died. You can go to Wonderland whenever you want. I have been back. I've never taken that ride, but I've been back, okay? And so you're supposed to be strapped into this ride and you're supposed to get pulled up by these cables and then this cable is supposed to release you and you're supposed to swing like 100 feet or wherever in the air. And, and, and the guy strapped me in properly and I was able to do it and I'm still here. But man, I'm so thankful for that supervisor. Let me tell you. Um, I want to line it with what we're talking about today. The flesh in my story that I just told you was the boy who strapped me into the harness to start. The supervisor was the spirit. I was ready to go and have fun, to experience life, to go on an adventure. I was ready to do all those things. But the flesh was resisting the natural progression of things. There was a format, there was a technique already in place that I just needed to yield to, to be completely safe. But the flesh, in its dysfunction, employed by my body, was going to lead me to death. See, the flesh is like a contract staff whose tenure will end when my body passes away. The flesh can only do one thing, and that is bring death, right? Which is what I would have experienced on the Wonderland ride. But praise God that the supervisor was on staff and was watching the whole time. And that is the Holy Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have no idea your value to God. You are so valuable to God that he employed his own spirit to help you. Himself. And you are never, ever alone. 
and he will make sure that you are absolutely safe. Everything doesn't work out perfect. Everything doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. Yes, there is pain, there is suffering, there are trials. Sometimes you mess up. But he is there to keep you safe. And he's watching, and he wants to help. Now imagine, let's go back to the story. Imagine the supervisor comes in, let's go back, and, and, and he comes in, he's like, okay, look, this boy who set you up, he set you up incorrectly. Uh, I'm gonna redo it so that you don't die. And then I say, uh, no, that boy was the first person I saw. That, the way he set it up was the first thing that I saw. That's the only thing I saw. And I said, I want that boy to come back and put it the way he did. I don't trust you because this is what I knew first. Now, in that scenario, this magical scenario that I did that, that supervisor would fight with me. He would. He would say, like, no, I got to do it. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that he would not allow me to take the ride. He would say, if you are going to persist, you got to get off the ride. Why? For my own safety, because he can't have patrons dying on his watch. So he'd say, that's it, you're off. And I'd miss out on fun, I'd miss out on joy, I'd miss out on an experience of life. That's what the flesh does to us. It wants to take control of our minds, our emotions, and our decision-making to make us miss out on what God has designed for us to experience. The freedom that God has designed for us to experience. It's not enough to have a five-step plan on following Jesus. It's not enough, you can't do it. Your, your, your will, your decision-making ability was only made to reflect what the Spirit had done in you. you. Adam was created with the Spirit of God and that was the first thing, but his soul, his decision-making ability, that came second. And it was only made to reflect what was going on in his spirit. But now that, now that we have a new spirit, a righteous spirit, we still have to turn our attention, turn our focus, turn our will towards what is most natural for us, to yield to the desires of the spirit within us. I love how Colossians 2, chapter 6 says this, Therefore you receive Christ Jesus as Lord so walk in him. Just walk in him. It could say, um, therefore you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so, so imitate him. And we can talk about the word imitate being used in, in scripture, but that's, but that's not the essence of what this is saying right now. It's saying you are in Christ. You are yielded to him. You do have a spirit that is dependent on him. So you remain don't choose to leave. Don't choose to be fooled by what indwelling sin the flesh tempts you with. You stay. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus Lord by faith, so remain and walk in him. If I am righteous, why? Why do I still struggle with sin? And I'll say this very clearly. This is probably the best answer I could give at this moment. Um, because that's a common question for us, but we approach the question wrong. If I am righteous, why do I still sin? Well, you struggle with sin because you struggle with sin. Sorry, I jumped a few slides ahead there, sorry. Oh, is it best? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's totally fine. 
You struggle with sin because you, I, struggle with sin. I try to go head to head against the flesh. I see things that I'm tempted with. Even, even in preparing this message, I, am so, I was so tempted to walk away from it because I was so afraid. What, my, what the flesh does in my life, the flesh fill, fills my thinking with thoughts of failure that I want to run away from opportunities to teach, to be a good husband, to love my kids, to be a spiritual leader in my home. It makes me want to run away because I'm so consumed with the fact that I'm going to fail. Instead, I turn my attention not to that, but I turn my attention to what has actually been done, that I have a new righteous spirit, that I am the, the holiest place on earth right now because Jesus resides within me, that I am the one that Jesus Christ loves. Yeah, absolutely. I turn my attention to that. I turn the attention to the fact that everything that I have been given is not for my benefit. Even the ability to speak right now, even the ability to go into the scriptures and read and put together a sermon, that's not for me. It's a gift that he has given. It's a gift that he has given that he wants to reveal himself through. And you don't want anything but that. And so I needed, in preparing for today, I needed to relent to that truth. You gave this for this moment for Nikki, for Sue, for Matt. You gave this moment to me and you want to steward it through me. Praise God. That's real freedom. That's real freedom. I love that. Um, so, so again, you struggle with sin because you struggle with sin, but it wasn't for you to fight. That war wasn't yours to fight. The spirit wants to fight on your behalf. And so we need to be able to say, yes, Holy Spirit. I associate myself. I join my thinking. I turn my will and my attention towards what you want to do and who you are. And I say, yes, Lord, through me today, I am inviting you to live through me and battle this sin. Um, scripture says, I think... Oh, we're good there, eh? Uh, we can even just go back quickly to do not present your members to sin. There we go. Scripture says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And it's the truth. You've been brought from death to life. We already talked about that. And so present your members to God as instruments of righteousness for that reason, because that's who you really are. For that reason, because that's who you really are. For that reason, because that is who you really are. You're righteous. So just do what, what you're supposed to do. Um, now, here's a handful of things I just want to touch on quickly before we end. How are we doing here? Okay, just a little bit over, but um, just talking personally. This, we, we talked about how, this things, how these things affect us personally, but I want to talk about how it affects us relationally. Because, because of this knowledge of our understanding of the flesh, we can actually tell the truth in love. I always just read verses like that and be like, okay, I'm going to tell the truth in love. And I would just tell someone the truth and be like, guess what? It's love, you know, <laughs> afterwards. You know, tell them all, but then tell them it was love afterwards, you know. I never did that, but that's how you'd approach it. <laughs> but now we can actually do that because I can approach, I can approach 
Fred, and say, Fred, listen, bro, this thing that happened, I didn't like it for these such such reasons, but you know what? I know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know that you are the most holy place on earth. And I understand the struggle that you're going through because I have the exact same struggle. I have the exact same temptations. I have the exact same bot fly under my skin. And so I believe that in a moment you chose to do something that wasn't, that wasn't really you. And I want to affirm who you are. It gives us the freedom as a community to talk to each other about things that we not just don't like, but things that don't build us up into the being the body of Christ. We can talk to each other about these things. Because why? Because you know what you really like. I know you're the righteousness of God. This makes us also smarter in our relationships. Like, I fight better now. <coughs> I, I have better arguments now. With my wife. I can have better arguments now. I was holding back on you. I had to go there. Okay. I, I can have better conversations now because it's like, well, it's like if something happens that I don't like, I know that she is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know that her will, um, I know that her, the spirit that she has is, is to glorify and to demonstrate Jesus to our family and to myself. I know that. And so whatever happened or whatever's happening in our relationship, I can address it from that place where knowing that it's the flesh that is at work and that at some point in time, she may have, and most often than not, it's me. I may have just kind of followed along with what the flesh was telling me to do. So she can speak to me and edify who I am, and I can speak to her and edify who she is. We can address the flesh as what it is. doesn't mean that we give ourselves a clean slate every time we sin, but it's just saying that, listen, like, we know where this is coming from. It's not that we're sinless, but we have to decide and choose correctly um, to be who we are and walk in who we are in Christ. And this is the other part that's really a hard part, but then we can forgive openly. We can actually love our enemies. We can love our enemies who are in Christ. We can love our enemies who are sitting beside us, who are sitting behind us and sitting in front of us. We can love each other as a body of Christ because we, we can, actually more than that, we can forgive openly because we understand what the struggle is but we also understand that the standard by which you have been made righteous was not based on your ability to perform righteously. Right? I hope you would give me the same benefit of the doubt, or even better for the doubt. You, you would assume and believe who I am in Christ. And I would do the same for you. That it's not who you are. And so I can forgive you based on God's standards because God has made you righteous. And you are not righteous based on what I designed you to do. The measuring stick that I set up. All the magical things in my mind that I assume people should do so that they're counted acceptable to me. And each and every one of us have a different list. How do we even survive? But all of us have a different list. But guess what? We've been made righteous. And so we have an opportunity as a body of Christ to take the opportunity to love each other. Doesn't mean you always go back in a situation, in an abusive situation to be abused again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that you are able to actually react with love. The love of God and treat somebody according to the way that God has created them. Because of what Jesus did, not according to your standards.
tough words, but I know that I know that I know that the Spirit of God in you, that you have received by being joined with Him, being resurrected with a new life that's joined with the Spirit of God, that this is possible through Christ in you and not by your own ability. Um, let me just pray for us. Um, and now when I pray, I'm also going to pray for our food because we're going to go and eat. Everyone said, Amen. Oh, you said amen to really. Let's say amen after I pray. Okay. All right, we're good. All right, let's pray together. Uh, dear Jesus, you know, uh, I'm just so thankful for the journey that you've taken me on to understand the flesh. But I, you know, even in that, you know, there's a lot I don't understand still. And so what I'm I'm praying now, even what I prayed before, that if there is any opportunity for confusion in what I shared, that you would just take that away. But that you would, by your spirit, you know, uh, correct or direct us into the truth. But, I mean, I, I believe so heart, wholeheartedly that you want us to hold on to the truth of what we've heard today. And so I pray that you would do that. You would help us to hold on to that, to walk in that. And I pray you bless this meal. I pray it's a delicious meal and we bless our conversation as well. In Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. There you go. Thanks, guys, for your time and your attention. Appreciate that.